Welcome to another podcast from South Mims University. If you're a regular listener, you'll know that we aim to stretch the boundaries of intellectual and academic thought like an elastic band. Or maybe a better metaphor is something like giving academic thought a wedgie, reaching down into a subject's trousers and yanking its stale Y-fronts to shock it into thinking differently. Or maybe not. In this podcast, we're talking to our Professor of Linguistics, Barbara Mellon. That's Mellon with two L's, isn't it, Barbara? Uh, hello. Uh, two L's, yes. Like the famous banking family in America. Any relation? I don't know. We have never inherited any money from them, so I guess not. You never know, Barbara. Do that DNA test and you might turn out to be one of the long, a long-lost heir to a huge fortune. Mm, in my dreams. You can call me Barb. Everyone calls me Barb. Barb? My mother called me Barb instead of Barbara. She was a lexicographer. Someone who writes dictionaries? Compiles them, yes. And she was working on B-A-R words when I was born. Right. Well, literally, when you were born. I was born in a library. Right there amongst the dusty stacks. Hence your love of words. Well, that's the family myth. My father said I was born with a dusty, wordy mind, which is why I always have my nose in a book. It's a very nice nose. Oh, thank you. Um, so, uh, B-A-R words. She was working on Barb, specifically. So your name is a literary illusion, then? More a lexical illusion. Why not just call you Lexi, then? Maybe if she'd managed to get to L before her waters broke, I might have had that name. That's a good idea. Very witty. Well, thank you. I don't mind Barb. I'm used to it. Even though it means, like, a, a nasty comment or something? I wouldn't say nasty. It's more a biting or pointed critical remark. Do you make them? Biting remarks, I mean. Sometimes. Not often. I'm a biter sometimes. What do you bite? Oh, the usual. Food. People I'm attracted to. Really? Uh, OK. Um... Barb is also a sharp projection that projects backwards, you know, like a fish hook. It's how you catch fish. Do you fish? No, never have. Though, don't we all fish? For friends? For lovers? Well, I suppose. You suppose? Don't you fish for companions? I wouldn't have put it that way. Uh, um, right, shouldn't we... We should focus on the subject of this podcast. Uh, sorry, uh, as a linguist I digress for a living. <laughs> How so? A word or a phrase never quite means what we think it does, which means you need to be able to uncover the deeper meanings to which they are connected, both in personal and social terms. You're studying the language we use in texts, aren't you? Yes. In texts and all kinds of internet exchanges, digital exchanges, uh, you see, for a linguist, the, the digital world is an amazing resource. It's unshackled language. It's unedited, mostly. It's free from constraint. It's intensely social. It's speech, really. But don't people take a lot of time over, over their, for instance, their tweets? I mean, is that unstructured? Uh, sure, they work out what they want to say, but they say it more freely than if they were writing an essay or an article. And of course, the vast majority of us never write our feelings down formally, even in letters. Letter writing on paper is a dying art. 
but the text, the tweet, the Facebook post about an event or a feeling or even a political reaction is usually very like what people would say in real life, as if they were face to face. And that's a great resource for people like me who study language. But you're focusing your attention on one thing in particular, aren't you? Uh, the key smash, yes. Now, I, I've never heard of that. But you've probably done it, yes? Uh, explain what it is. You've never done it? Maybe a few times. I can tell you're emotional. You try to come across as cool and academic, Carl, but I think you're very emotional. OK, well, maybe I am, but, but explain what a key smash is for our listeners who might not know. It's a jumble of letters which are seemingly random and express the fact that the writer can't put a feeling into words. So they mash the keyboard and out comes a string of letters that express that inability to, well, express the feeling. Well, what kind of feelings? Anger, frustration, intense love. And it's just a jumble of letters? Yes. You might be writing something like, my mother can't just can't leave it alone. She hates me and it makes me feel A-H-S-G-S-F-S-T-E-H-S-G-S-F-S exclamation point. A-A... what was that? It doesn't matter. It's just a jumble of letters. Why not just spell out R? Well, some people do, but that's a sort of word. You see it in texts, in comics, and it does express a feeling of inarticulacy, but it could also be pain or anger or something like that. It's not entirely inexpressible. The randomness of the letters is what counts, then? Yes, though when you think about the keyboards we all use, or at least most of us use, the QWERTY keyboard, uh, then there are patterns to key smashes. It's usually, <clears throat> it's usually got A's, S's, D's, F's and G's, and maybe an H in it. That's on the left of the keyboard, and the letters run left to right, to the centre. We focus on the centre of the keyboard and spell outwards, if you see what I mean. OK, I, I'm, I'm picturing that. I, I, I see what you mean, yeah. So when you're trying to communicate the fact that you're unable to communicate a feeling, or even a concept, you can use a key smash to get that across. So it's... it's it's just random, and that's why it works. Well, it turns out it's not so random. There's a great book by an American linguist called Gretchen McCulloch, and in it she shows how many people modify the randomness to ensure that it looks right. Really? So they make the letters look more like a word? Not so much a word, an actual word, but more expressive, without being a word. More onomatopoeic? Hmm, that's a good word. Onomatopoeic. Hmm. Yes, it's a sexy word, don't you think? Sexy? Uh, feels more like a, a disease or a rash to me. Is that how you think of sex? Sorry? Look, I mean, what I mean is, it's a word that... It, what, what it means is that it's a word that sounds like the thing it describes. Yes, that's what onomatopoeia is. Whoosh, bang, that kind of thing. Yes. Whoosh. Bang. Bang. So, all right, well, when, when people modify their random key smashes, is that what they're trying to achieve? A word that expresses what they feel. Yes. I don't think so. What they want is the randomness to look more random. Randomness that's more obviously random, but then isn't that, like, not random? That's not the point. Uh, you're right, but it's not the point. What 
they're doing is trying to get the pattern right. Humans are brilliant at seeing patterns and creating them. I mean, think about it. All art is about patterns, patterns of colours and shapes that either represent something in real life exactly, or almost exactly, or uh, abstract shapes and colours which represent feelings like love and anger. Key smashes are art, then? Well, you could see them that way. The art of expression, the art of communication, but in abstract form. So the evidence is that people modify the first attempt at a key smash to make it look more expressive, right? Yes, that's right, Kyle. Do you work out? What? Sorry? You look like you work out. I do, but let's stick to the subject, shall we? Uh, we have a podcast to fill after all. I'm sure you can keep a podcast going almost indefinitely. Well, let's focus on the subject, Bob, please. <sighs> All right. The pattern of the letters is meant to denote incoherence. The incoherence of the feeling, whatever it is. Yes, but as humans, we need to find a coherent pattern to denote something that is incoherent. It's a, it's a paradox. It is. All feelings of that kind are paradoxes, don't you think? Anger, love. Attraction? Lust? I guess. You guess. Don't you ever think about those things? Anger, love, attraction, lust? The point isn't the feelings themselves, but the way people express them linguistically. That's the point you're studying, isn't it? It is. But you're being a little too literal, aren't you? Well, I think our listeners are looking for insights into how people communicate in the digital age. And so the feelings themselves are the focus of the inquiry. Mm, pity. Your work is about the linguistic expression of those feelings. We've agreed on that, haven't we? Yes, we have. It's just that you're being a bit dull about this subject, Kyle. Let's liven it up a bit. Put some life into the subject. Uh, how would you do that? Well, let's talk emojis. Emojis? But they aren't words, are they? Well, they're expressive symbols. Words are expressive symbols made up of letters. Emojis are pictographic expressions of concepts. And, in fact, they get closer to the origins of writing than letters do. All languages start out pictographically. By that I mean in pictures or diagrams. And then they evolve into letters. Or in the case of Chinese, for instance, they remained pictographic but established a shorthand that aids the speed of communication. All right, then explain why emojis are important. The renowned expert on language and communication, Professor Vivian Evans, wrote a whole book about it called The Emoji Code. He says that emojis are a complete system of communication. It's a code rather than a language. A red heart says I love you. The heart isn't a word, it's a code. The red heart is different to a purple or an orange one. And a heart with other hearts spinning off it means something different to the single red heart. But in the end, they all communicate an, emo an emotion. I love you. And I love you can mean many different things. Other than someone loves someone. Well, it could be fraternal love, parental love, friendly love, or deep love of a thing or an object. Even simply sexual love. Simply sexual love? It's love, but based on lust. It might turn into love based on mutual, long-term respect and commitment. And you get all this from an emoji? I do. Don't you? So is the 
key smasher code too? It's more a word, uh, a word that's not a word, but it also, in my opinion, likes, um, acts like an emoji. It's a picture made up of letters and conjures images of someone so unable to articulate what they feel that they smash their keyboard. So the picture is in the mind of the reader. We read the letters even though it's not a word. We try to read it and when we can't we turn it into a pictogram, an emoji. Just as a sidebar, uh, where does the word emoji actually come from? It's two Japanese words. E is a picture and moji is a character. Is lol an emoji? No, it's a word now, like OMG. They are words and they're in decline amongst the young. Now emojis rule. So they're like a, a supplementary, supplementary language then? Professor Evans said, says they're an entirely new language, the world's first truly universal language. It doesn't matter where you come from or what language you speak. We all speak emoji. I don't really understand most of them, though. I mean, does that leave me at a disadvantage? It does. You need to get beyond the hearts and smiley or sad faces and get into the more complex constructions of emojis. It's a lot of fun and very, very expressive. Do people communicate solely in emojis? They do. It's estimated that 40% of British people have sent texts which, which are just emojis. No words, just emojis. Oh, right, OK. Well, what, why do you think that people prefer emojis? The same reason they sometimes resort to the key smash. They want to express more than the words are capable of. Why don't they just make a phone call then? It's not always possible. And many people don't want to express emotion in a phone call or even in person. They feel freer to do it using emojis. Do you do that? I mean, avoid phone calls? No, I like to be clear about my emotions and my desires. OK. But for those who aren't that confident, and most people aren't, the emoji is far more expressive. They provide clear emotional cues, which help us interpret what our feelings and desires are much more clearly. They help people calibrate their emotions. That's a good way of putting it. That's especially useful when it comes to relationships, especially the first stages of a romantic affair, from flirting to sex and beyond. OK. Uh, there was a famous survey done by a dating site called Match.com. It showed that single people who used the most emojis got the most dates and therefore ended up having most sex. Oh, is that so? The survey even showed that emoji usage correlated with reported sexual satisfaction amongst females. Right. That's right. Uh, the survey showed that female singletons who used the kiss emojis reported that they had more orgasms than other women. Uh, is, this, is this useful linguistically? Very useful. What better use of language than to encourage reproduction in a species? You could argue that the emergence of the emoji is an evolutionary advantage. Well, I suppose... I suppose you could. Now, Professor Evans doesn't say it's the emojis themselves that get you laid, but that the people who use them are better communicators. So that sort of undermines the rather flippant evolutionary point I made. But you see what I'm getting at. Well, it makes a good headline. It does. It gets people thinking about sex, and when people think about sex, they pay attention. Hence the basis of all advertising. Indeed. Uh, think about the aubergine emoji. 
Uh, aubergine. Eggplant, aubergine. The vegetable. Yes, I know what it is. It's used sexually. You mean... Not in real life, though perhaps some people do. No, I mean it looks like... Well, you know what it looks like. Oh, I don't, actually. A penis? A tumescent one? OK. <clears throat> Whereas a peach or a flower... Yeah, yes, yes. Uh, so they aid uh, um, flirtation? They do. Or it's a shopping list for when you go to the supermarket. But usually it's all about sex. But people don't get together just on the basis of a string of emojis, do they? No, but what emojis do, just like the key smash, is set the tone. And tone is what counts in communication. It is? It's been estimated that we only get 7% of the meaning of what, of what someone says from their words. We get 38% from what's called paralanguage, or tone, and 55% from facial expression. So add the tone and the facial expression together, and over 90% of communication comes not from what we say, the words, but from how we say it and what we do while we say it. I see. Which means you can understand exactly what I'm thinking right now. I, uh, I think I can. But this is a podcast, so it's lost on our listeners. Oh, is it? I don't think so. I think they know exactly what's been going on here in this makeshift studio. Ever since we talked about my name and how it reminds people of a fish hook and how that suggests a game in which someone tries to hook the other into a... Well, let's not be too obvious about this. Um, which, which emojis are you thinking about right now? Hmm. It looks like a shopping list full of vegetables and fruit. Well, uh, OK, well, perhaps it's time to uh, wrap up this very interesting podcast. Yes. Let's wrap it up quickly. OK, well, if you've liked this po podcast, uh, please subscribe um, uh, and enjoy the many subjects we teach here at uh, South Mims University. Uh, uh, bye.